0: You probably noticed I was limping a little bit when I came up here, but my family and I went bowling yesterday. And I can't even do the approach anymore, you know, where you go up to it. I just have to go to the line and stand there and throw the ball. But I'll tell you what, it didn't spoil my 86 average. <laughs> <laughs> Kept it right up there. Secret Sisters registration, the deadline's in two weeks, and it's out there um, on the welcome desk, or the side desk, I can't remember. So fill out a form, put it in, and be part of our secret sisters. And also, the outlines for this coming Wednesday in our study in Colossians, they're also out there if you want to pick one up. And uh, we're going to have it online as well if you want to download it. And uh, also, uh, people were asking, so there are more copies of my book out there, and uh, I have what the donation is. And you can just put it right in that box the books are in. That'd be fine. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit and the way he is able to minister to us and encourage us in our walk with you. The greatest joy we have, the greatest treasure we have is salvation. And I ask Heavenly Father that as we cover this portion of Scripture, it would help us to appreciate what you have done in order to acquire that salvation for us. So Father, I pray and ask that you'd use me To minister to these your precious people and I give you thanks Lord for this ministry and I pray in Jesus name Amen you know um, I've been a pastor for 39 years and there's not a Sunday that I stand up here that I don't feel unworthy to open God's Word it's a amazing thing because God's Word is truth God's Word is light God's Word is salvation And he's entrusted it to preachers like myself and Frank to open it up. And and I I just ask that you guys would be praying for me all week, and especially on Sundays as I stand before you to open his word. And we are in Deuteronomy 17 and picking up with verse 1. Well, I guess you don't pick up. We're starting with verse 1. You know, oftentimes when we look at portions like this... um, they seem repetitive, and you're thinking, well, what is the point in this? And verse one seems so disjointed from the rest of the portion. You know, what is all this? But we have to understand that the Word of God is only understood by the Holy Spirit anyway. And we also have to understand that the Holy Spirit will apply every portion of Scripture we read to our lives because we're all different. I believe one of the, one of the things that we always have to be considering is the fact that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we use that as a term, but it's a reality. It's not like God just, he just overshadows and over, you know, he just has a relationship with this church. He has a relationship with you personally. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows your gifts. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your frailties. But he has a personal relationship with you, just with you. And that's the reason that our walk with the Lord might seem different between one person to, you know, to another, but yet we're all seeking after him and seeking after his word and to follow his truth, that we might be his witnesses. We have to realize, we're going to be getting into that in just a moment, there is something much worse than physical death, much, much worse, and it's called spiritual death. Because as believers, when when we die physically, when we're absent from this body, we're with the Lord. But for the unbeliever, they don't go to heaven. They have eternal separation from God. And that is the worst hell that you can imagine. And that's the reason our life has to be one of, of really encouraging people in the Lord. And so when we look at portions of Scripture like this, it's an Old Testament portion. Some of it seems repetitive. But we have to understand that everything. In fact, let me read to you from Romans 15.4. For whatever things were written before, in other words, in the past, were written for our, you and I, learning that through the patience and comfort of the Scripture, we might have hope. And so what that portion is telling us is that when we look at Scripture, it's for us. It's for our learning. And so we have to ask, what is, are the lessons God is showing me from this portion? It's an old covenant portion, and, and it deals with Israel when they were coming into the land. How does it apply to me, though? And that's what we always have to be seeking after. <clears throat> so in Deuteronomy 17, starting with verse 1, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, that verse, you know, is, it's clearly talking about what we sacrifice to the Lord, what it costs us, how pure it is. But then the very next verse seems to be going off on something else, but I'll share with you that it's not. It's really talking about the same thing. Verse 2, if there is found among you within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God and transgressing his covenant... Who has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. Notice it says, Inquire diligently. Just don't go off, you know, half cocked, as they say. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an uh, abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed the wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death and afterwards the hands of the people. In other words, if you're going to be making an accusation against someone, You better be sure of what you're accusing them of, and it better be backed up by other witnesses because you're going to be the first one. And what a responsibility and what a horrible thing it would be if you're not sure and you were the first one to cast a stone. So you should put away the evil from among you. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt or bloodshed, or for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go into the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judges in those days and inquire of them. And they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment and you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the, Lord, which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instructed you, according to the judgment which they tell you. You shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand from, this, uh, from the sentence that they pronounced upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest um, who stands to minister before the Lord, your God, or the judges, that man shall die. You shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. Excuse me. And as I mentioned, verse 1 seems to have nothing to do with the rest of the portion because verse 1 is really talking about offering your best offering that which is clean to the Lord. And here's the reality of it. The only thing we have to offer to the Lord that would be clean would be what he has first given to us. When we go before the Lord in confession and repentance and say Lord, purify me. Lord, make me whole, forgive me my sin. Now we have a clean sacrifice to offer to him. If we go to the Lord and say, well, <clears throat> Lord, you know this weakness I have and you know this problem I'm facing. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to minister to you anyway. You, no, 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 no. We have to go before the Lord and lay it bare before him. <clears throat> and we have to give the Lord our best and what cost us something. If it costs you nothing to serve the Lord, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I get my little lemon drop out. But if we offer to the Lord that which costs us nothing, then it's not going to be mean as much to us as far as you know what our commitment is in whatever the matter might be. And I love in 2nd Samuel, Samuel if you want to turn there, 2 Samuel 24, 24, bunch of twos. Second 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 24. Second Samuel 24, 24. <clears throat> and it's a beautiful portion of Scripture because what had happened is David wanted to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And so he went to Arnon, who had a threshing floor, and he wanted to buy the threshing floor from Arnon in order to make the sacrifice. Well, Arnon respected King David and loved him, and he didn't want him to have to pay for it. He wanted to give it to him. But David refused, and here's what we read in Second Samuel twenty-four twenty-four. Then the king said to Arnon, No, but I shall surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, with which cost me nothing. We shouldn't offer to the Lord that which costs us nothing. We should offer to the Lord our all, that which costs us something, willing to make an effort to serve God. You know, it's so easy to, to you know, throw some money in an offering box, which is wonderful. I mean, that's what the Lord uses to support your local fellowship. But what about your life? Are you willing to give everything to the Lord, that which costs you something? to be his witness, to be his example everywhere we go? Because we all know, especially in the world we're living in today, to be a witness for Jesus Christ isn't necessarily the most popular thing. As a matter of fact, you might be put down for it. You might be um, you know, criticized for it and, and made fun of. It doesn't make any difference. We offer to the Lord our best. Whatever you do, I don't know what your occupation... Well, I do know some of your occupations. Whatever your occupation is, whatever you do, if you're a homemaker, if you work outside the home, give the Lord your best. There's not a greater testimony than when you have someone in a workplace and people say, wow, here or she's a hard worker. And they say, yeah, she's a believer, he's a believer. It's a whole lot worse to have someone say... Man, that person is so lazy. They're always trying to get away with things. Well, they're a believer, you know, those Christians, you know. <laughs> Let's offer to the Lord that which costs us something. Our life. Here's what we have to remember. Our whole life as believers is to serve God. It's not your job that you, you know, should put up on as the highest level of, of work. It's serving the Lord, is the highest level of work the highest level of love, the highest level of service, the highest level of worship, that should be in our heart and in our mind. You know, God loves those who give it all to him. Because what we offer to the Lord should not only be our best, but as David said, that which costs us something. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we are supposed to offer ourselves to the Lord, which is only our reasonable act of service. And that's the reason that in humility, we always have to remember all we are is unworthy servants. I don't care if you're a millionaire or if you're a beggar on the street. If you're a believer, all we are are unworthy servants to the Lord. Again in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. Everything's lost. Everything means nothing compared to knowing Jesus For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Wow. So if we have this kind of righteousness that God intended to fill us with by his Holy Spirit, it should have a direct influence in how we relate to others. And that's what I mean when verse 1 is not you know, um, disconnected. It's, it's very tangent to the rest of the verse. Because if we're offering it all to Christ, loving him with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, it should have an effect in how we do relate to other people. Because our judgment towards others must be based on fact, not lies, not hearsay, And also, our judgment and attitude towards others should be based on love, not anger or resentment. In other words, if you approach a brother or sister because of some misdemeanor in their life, maybe even more than a misdemeanor, your attitude should be, I want them to get back right with the the Lord. I want them to get right with Christ. I love them. I want to have fellowship with them. Not, okay, now I really have a chance to hammer them. That's not the attitude God would have us have. And this is why gossip is not to be found among us, Scripture says. Not to be found among us. Gossip has done more harm to individuals and even to churches than probably anything else. How many times have you heard of someone, ha- you know, you know, so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. Next thing you know, everyone is believing it and maybe that person didn't do it. And you've, you've really trashed that person and harmed them. And here's the thing. As believers, even if the person did do it, our attitude towards them and our approach towards them should be one of reconciliation. It shouldn't be, okay, now I finally have a chance to get them. It's reconciliation. Come on, let's make this right. Let's do what we need to do. Encourage the person in the Lord. because we have to remember who the father of lies is. It's Satan. And uh, this is, of course, the chief weapon that he uses against people to try to destroy them. Now, if something is found to be true concerning an individual, and it's confirmed by two or more witnesses, it doesn't mean you say, okay, now let's get the electric chair out, let's get the noose out. That's not what scripture tells us as believers. Even if something is true, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18 and go to verse 15. Matthew 18 starting with verse 15. Matthew Mark, Luke, John. Okay, Okay, Matthew 18, starting with verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So our first approach with someone who has sinned against us or who we have become aware of who has sinned is we go to them privately. You don't make public mockery of it. You don't have banners up there of what sin they committed. You go to them personally and privately and say, here's the deal. Now, look what it goes on to say. If he hears you, you've gained your brother, and then that's it. You drop it. You know, we're saved by grace, and because of the grace of God, if we confess our sin, he forgives us and purifies us And he remembers our sin no more. He purifies us. He doesn't remember our sin anymore. So even if we have something to approach a brother or sister about, should we just personally, just the two of you? And if that person says, you know what, you're right. I confess, I repent, I really really need to change. It's over with. It's done. That's it. But then it goes on to tell us in verse 16, but if he will not hear... Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. In other words, it's not saying, hey, just pick up a couple guys to go with you or a couple girls to go with you to just, you know, accuse this guy. No, it has to be people that also witness it. They have to be witnesses. So if you can find two or, or, you know, one or two more witnesses that can verify that that is what this person did, then you go to that person with the three of you. Excuse me. And um, verse 17, and it says, And if he refuses to hear them tell to the church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So even then, it's just saying, if a person never wants to admit they're wrong, then just put them out. But don't try to destroy them. Just put them out. You know what I mean? We have heathen and, and, and tax collectors all around us. We're not going around every day trying to kill them or trying to make you know, life hard for them. But we remove our fellowship from them. And we don't remove our fellowship from them because we're trying to shun people in some kind of a religious way. We know that there are portions of Scripture that tell us the reason we do that is so they might repent. Our desire always for someone who's caught in sin is repentance. At least it should be. And um, so when we're not able to resolve a situation, we always have to take it to the Lord. Because Jesus not only hears, but he answers prayer. The Holy Spirit is then able to minister God's wisdom. If we can't minister God's wisdom to someone, only the Holy Spirit can do it. And he will. It might be situations, circumstances, whatever it is, but it might open that person's eyes to hear the truth. And his judgment, of course, is non-discriminatory. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, even though the Bible has certain roles that it's laid out for men and women in this life, we're one with Christ. One isn't lifted higher than another. Male, female, free, slave, whatever your background is, we are all equal in Christ. Now, and we are under grace, and grace is just a demonstration and outpouring of God's love, because God has to judge sin, but His grace is what motivates him to forgive our sin when we confess. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, if you want to turn here, ah. Uh, Thanks, guy. No, I'm just joking. It's First Corinthians chapter six. Go to verse nine. <clears throat> and I'm sharing this because we have to understand God doesn't wink at sin. God forgives sin by His grace and mercy, and we might have the responsibility at times of going to a person and to encourage them in order to, that they might seek forgiveness from the Lord and to change their ways and to follow Jesus. But on the same hand, we ourselves have to be aware of what sin is there in my life, because some of these sins can be very serious. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, nor, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we go through this list, and probably all of us could identify with some of them, especially before we were saved. But we've been sanctified, we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the same attitude that we should have towards others. But it's also an encouragement to us, because sometimes when we've been believers for a while, it's kind of easy to just kind of kind of backslide a little bit. Well, this isn't quite as bad. It was bad in 1950, but this really isn't bad in 2022. It's not quite as bad. There's no sliding scale for sin. And I know you've heard me uh, say this so many times, but I'm going to share it again. I can remember my grandfather, and uh, he actually, my grandmother and grandfather lived with us for a while, but... Um, they were born in the 1800s. They actually remember the stagecoach coming to town. And I can remember my grandfather saying, there's nothing decent on TV except Kate Smith. And you guys are thinking, who in the world is Kate Smith? When the moon comes over the mountain. That's how she started her show. And she also was well known for singing the national anthem. She sang it at a lot of the major you know, world series and like that. But he thought there was nothing decent on TV except Kate Smith back then. Can you imagine today? And to me, it's just such an indication that as believers, sometimes we can start building up calluses. I mean, things at one time that used to offend us, it's not that bad anymore. That's not that bad. Well, this list of sins should really encourage us To take our lives, to die to self and take our lives before the Lord. Because God still does not wink at sin. You know why? Because sin cost him his son's agonizing death. That's what it cost him. That's why in Romans 6.14 it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. We're under grace. All we have to do is confess and repent. Sin doesn't have to have dominion over us. Now, not having dominion over us doesn't mean that we never fall to sin. It means it doesn't dominate us. We fall to sin, we take it to the Lord. And then we have a fresh start. There are things that I've had a fresh start on more times than I could even count. But each time it's a fresh start, the problem is, is when you say, well, it's not a sin anymore. That's not, no, no big deal. Yes, it is. We have to take it to the Lord. Now, to be separated from God for all eternity is much worse than physical death. Do you understand that? It's much worse, worse than physical death. We're getting older, some of us, way older, whatever. I mean, my mother-in-law is 99. And she she uses the cute phrase, she says, I'm at the stepping-off point, <laughs> And as we're getting older, and any of us, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. The fact is, death can come to any of us. But we have to realize, for believers, death is not the end. A believer who closes his or her eyes in death opens them in life with Jesus Christ. And so, that shouldn't have that kind of fear on us like it does the unbeliever. But for the unbeliever death should be a fearful thing not because of the physical death itself but because of the spiritual death that it leads to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and i'm going to be pretty much closing with this when a pastor says pretty much closing with this and you have to be worried a little bit but anyway 1 Corinthians 15 go to verse 50 And in verse 50 of chapter 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the corruptible inherit the incorruptible. There's something there that's so exciting. In other words, we have to die to go to heaven. You can't go in the flesh. And also, corruptible cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which is encouraging us to confess and repent of our sin. There are none of us that are going to come to a place where we say, well, you know, Lord, I've finally arrived. I just don't sin anymore. I'm above all sin. That's completely contrary to the word of God. Every day it says we're to take up our cross and follow Jesus. That means take up death to self. How many times have we laid in bed at night and cried out to God asking forgiveness for something we've cried out for forgiveness for time after time after time? But here's the wonderful thing, you're crying out for forgiveness. And every time you cry out, you're forgiven. Remember Peter said, hey, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone? Maybe seven times? See, the law said you only forgive someone three times. Actually, only two. And the third time they're judge. And so when Peter said, should we forgive seven times? He was being very magnanimous. Hey, Lord, should we just forgive? And the Lord said, No, seven times 70. And it's not really, okay, that's 400, you know, that's how many times? No, no, what he was saying is it's unlimited. And that's how the Lord's forgiveness is towards us it's unlimited because we're confessing from our heart. And then, um, verse 51 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, die. Physical death, because some are going to be raptured. But we shall all be changed. The dead in Christ rise first, we know that, and they're changed, receiving their glorified bodies. Then we who are alive and remain, we also receive our glorified bodies and be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this uh, corruptible has put on incorruptible, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying uh, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, just look at these verses, 55 through 58. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, we can't look at sin without seeing Jesus on the cross. But when we look at Jesus on the cross, we realize he died as a justification for all of our sin. And so when we recognize sin, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Because there's none of us that are perfect. I guarantee you that. I'm not perfect. I guarantee you that. And one of the wonderful things of God's love is that he allows us to have certain sins just between ourselves and him. You know what I mean? I'm just being honest, brutally honest. We all have things in our heart that no one knows but the Lord. But the Lord forgives, the Lord purifies, and the Lord can give us the victory. How many things has he given us victory over in this life? How many more things might he before he returns? But the final victory is going to be glorification. When this corruptible (laughs) body, machine, Is laid aside in the incorruptible. You know, what came first, the physical, but then the spiritual? What promises we have from the Lord. And those promises, brothers and sisters, are based on nothing but love. We deserve nothing. He gives us everything. And that's why we should always look to the Lord and be so thankful. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you for your love, thanking you for your compassion, for your forgiveness. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would really encourage us in all of your ways that we might walk steadfastly before you, not trying to hide our sin from ourselves and from you. We know nothing is hidden in your sight. But help us, Lord, to be honest and to come to a place where we really, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, desire to grow and to draw closer to you. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister your word to these, your very precious people. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.